speaker here. Um, she's from Faith Chapel. Uh, uh, Rachel Gilligan, is that correct? Why well, don't we give her a round of applause and welcome her this morning for coming in. Well, hello, everyone. Um, my, good morning, good morning. Um, like you said, my name is Rachel Gilligan. I am one of the pastors over at Faith Chapel. I've gotten to work there for four years. Um, I am married, and my husband and I have been married, uh, Josh, for five years. We have two boys, a three-year-old named Crosby, who is, you, if you have, have had kids, you remember three, because, woo, it is hot and cold. It is everything, every emotion in five minutes flat, and that is fun and tiring. <laughs> but Crosby is three, and then we have... Um, a baby named Wells, and he is nine months old. And so it's just been so fun to get to, thank you, so fun to get to work as well as um, be a part of the church community and also get to be a mom. So it's been such an honor and a privilege. And thank you guys for letting me come and speak this morning. I'm very excited to get to speak to you all. Um, so today we are talking about an idea uh, that's throughout the Bible, and it's this idea of being called or anointed. And I think there's probably some of us in this room who have felt a specific calling from the Lord. There also must be, uh, there may be a couple of us who are at a point in our lives where people are coming to us and seeking advice. What is the Lord calling me to? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? And so we want to look at what it means and what the Bible says about being chosen, called, anointed. And to do that, I want us to look at the story of David. Um, so we're going to spend some time in 1 Samuel uh, 16 through 18. We're not going to read that whole text, but we're going to pick out some important pieces to just get an idea of what does it mean to be anointed by God. And so um, just a brief uh, reminder that the book of David or the story of David is found in the Old Testament, the Old Testament being um, the story of the Israelite people. So God's chosen people as they were in their formation, um, their slavery, their freedom from the slavery of Egypt, and then their journey into the promised land. And then pretty much every mistake that they made before, during, and after that time. And it is a lot of mistakes. Um, and so David comes into the story right as the Israelites, they've entered the promised land. And now as they are looking around at the other countries, they realize we don't have a king and we want one. So they ask God, can, I, can we have a king? And he gives them a king and the first king of Israel is King Saul. And King Saul looks the part. He is everything you would think a king should be. He's strong, he's tall, he's handsome. He is the king of kings. But his heart and his character, they're not in it. And he's flawed. And God soon realizes, okay, this isn't working out. We need a new king. So he sends the prophet Samuel to go find a new king. And that is where David enters the story. An interesting fact about David is besides Jesus, David is the single most written about character of the Bible. His narrative takes up more text than any other character besides the story of Jesus and Jesus himself. And I think there's a couple reasons why the Bible and the authors of the Bible spend so much time thinking about David. And first is because David ends up creating a covenant with the Lord that Jesus would ultimately come from his family line. And that is a pretty important part of David's story. The second thing is that David is referred to as a man after God's own heart. And so we get to use David and understand that David was an amazing leader. He was the best king Israel had, but he is also deeply flawed. Because as you read the entirety of David's story, you realize that he makes a lot of mistakes. He falls into temptation, into sin, and he, beside, even though he is a man after God's own heart, he is deeply flawed. And I think this helps shows an authentic look of the human experience, that even in our best state, we are so deeply flawed and in need of a savior. 
and we can find that in Jesus. So David just brings that story to life, our story of needing that Savior because deep down we can't be good enough. And so as we look at David, though, I want us to focus focus in on his beginning part of his life. So he's a shepherd, he has many brothers, and what happens when he is called and anointed by Samuel, and then what he does immediately after being anointed. So I first want us to look um, at 1 Samuel 16, 7 through 13, and it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not so pause real fast. So right before this, God has sent Samuel to find um, the man Jesse and have all Jesse present all of his sons before him to figure out which one will be the next king. So, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and brought him in. He was glowing of health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So I think there's a couple things that we want to look at when we read this text about when David was anointed. The first is that God looks at the heart and not outward appearance. So Saul, King Saul was everything outward appearance, but had no inward worth or value, not value, but that his heart wasn't truly in serving. But outside, he looked great. So God is saying, I need a king who inside looks just as good as he does outside. So he says, I'm not going to focus on outward appearance. I want to focus on the heart. And I think that asks the question within us, where is our heart at? Are we at a place, is our heart in a place that we are willing and we are ready to serve the Lord? And some things we can ask ourselves when we're evaluating our own hearts is, what do we believe in the Lord? Are we at a place currently where we have come to ask the Lord to be our Savior and the master of our lives? If that's not you right now, that's all right. We're so glad that you're here and spending time thinking about those things. If you're at a place where you have asked the Lord into your life to be the master of your life, then you need to start asking yourself, okay, where is my heart in my relationship with the Lord? Am I actively pursuing a relationship with the Lord? Am I taking time out of my day? to spend with the Lord. Because if I'm not, where, is, where do I need to reevaluate my heart? And one of the things I think a great way for us to compare that is if we have a heart that's willing and ready to serve the Lord, it should look different than the rest of the world. If we're in a relationship that is committed and deep with the Lord, it should not look like the rest of the world. Are we choosing to sacrifice our time, our money, our lives in relationship with the Lord so that we look different than others. And so the first thing we want to know is that God is going to look in our hearts and he's going to look for someone who is willing and ready to serve him. The second thing we see in David's anointing is that God looks for anyone, not just the obvious choice. David was so much not the obvious choice, they didn't even bring him in from the field. They had all the brothers pass by before they even thought to bring in David. Samuel had to ask to bring in David. And so that's how much Jesse wasn't thinking that David would be the obvious choice. But I think God is looking at our heart, and he, even if you don't feel like God's obvious choice, if you have a heart that's ready, then you are God's choice. So we need to stop 
counting ourselves out. I think often we come up with ideas of why it couldn't be us that God wants to use. It couldn't be us that we that could do the work of the Lord. Because if God had known what we've done before, what our past looks like, some of the mistakes that we've made, there's no way that he would want to have us and use us. But God doesn't, God is looking for not what you think is the perfect candidate. candidate. God's looking for someone who is willing and a heart that is ready. And so we need to, sorry, um, so we need to look, we need to know that God's already chosen us and he's going to continue to choose us if we are feeling, or if we have, um, sorry about that. <laughs> so we know that God wants to choose us and he has on the cross. And so my example of that, and it's kind of silly, is that um, three weeks ago, my husband and I ran a triathlon. Did, completed a triathlon. And how this works in the Gilligan household is that we don't give a ton of time. We just decide we're going to do something and then we just go for it. And it's just silly. And my parents are in the back and they're like, yeah, we were there for the whole thing. This is my parents and they're like, we were here for the whole thing. So we barely, so swimming, biking, running. That's what we need to do. We train a little bit to swim because we need to for survival. But we don't really train for biking and we don't really train for running, but we go out and do it. And we complete it and we make, make it through and it's awesome. Um, it's so fun. But I am not lying when I tell you that we were dead last. We ended in the very last spot very last and to the point where when we would run past water stations they would be like okay that's it you can clean it up now and we're like that's all right it's okay well at least we're doing it so we roll in last very last and they have wait for us and now they're doing the award ceremony and we're like oh well you didn't need to wait for us to do the award ceremony that but they waited for us, so then they start the awards. We're not paying attention because dead last. So we think, okay. So we're hanging out, drinking water, not paying attention, and all of a sudden I hear Rachel Gilligan's silver medal. And I was, I was like, no, that can't possibly be right. That is not true. And so I walk up and they place this silver medal on me. And I was like, oh, okay. They're like, you got you second place in your age bracket. And I was like, well, okay, thank you. And then I walked back and I'm like, I've done the math. There must have only been two people in my age bracket. And then we wait two minutes and then they call up Josh Gilligan, bronze in his age bracket, and they give my husband a medal. And we just, we felt silly. We're like, there's no way we deserve these. But... We were, we were willing to try. In my age bracket of all of Billings, yeah, I was the second person to, in my age bracket because I was the second and only person to try. <laughs> and in my age bracket, definitely not. I'm telling you, the people who came before me looked like Olympians, like they should have been in Tokyo because I was feeling real silly. But I was willing to try. I was willing to go out there and give it my all and try my hardest, and that's what the Lord wants. He wants us to have hearts that are willing to try. We don't have to do it perfectly. We just have to have the heart to try it. And that's what God's saying. He says, I want to anoint you because you have a heart that's willing to try, not because you're successful without me. Because it's not about what we have. It's what the Lord is intending to give us. And what does he give us? Well, we see at the very end of this text, what is the major change from the pre-anointing to the post-anointing within David? It's that the Holy Spirit comes upon him. It's that the Holy Spirit is now within him. And in the Old Testament, it's different. The Holy Spirit only comes upon someone for a temporary amount of time. But now with Jesus, we have received the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is always within us. And so now we can go out anointed in the fact that the Holy Spirit is with us. And here's the interesting thing I find in this text. Nowhere in the text of David being anointed does it talk about 
him becoming king. Never do we hear Samuel say the words, and you will become king. We can infer, because the text before talks about how they're going to find the king, but they don't emphasize the fact that in the anointing of David, it says, and you will become king. And what I find interesting about that is that they don't talk about the destination. They talk about what has now been given to him. So they're not saying, they're not focusing on you will become king. They're focusing on that the Holy Spirit is now with you. And so this is a story of a man who gets to go out utilizing the Holy Spirit. It's not focused. In the end, we get to hear about him becoming king. But throughout all the rest of this text, throughout this whole story of David, we get to see him utilizing the Holy Spirit within him. And that gets to be our story, too, because now we have the Holy Spirit within us, and now we get to go out and utilize it. So what is our story going to say? What are we going to do now that we've been anointed with the Holy Spirit? So what the second part of what I want us to look at today is, okay, now we see that David's been anointed. What does he do immediately after this anointing? Because it's not becoming king. Becoming king isn't the next part of this text. There is a long time before he becomes king. And I think that can be true for a lot of us. We feel like we're being called to a certain thing, but then there is a long time before that actually becomes fulfilled. But that doesn't mean that David just stops and just, okay, I'm just waiting until I'm king. The Lord said that's going to happen. I'm not going to do anything else until that happens. No, we get to see that he is active and he is utilizing the fact that God's presence is upon him. So the first thing that he does immediately after becoming anointed is that he serves the king. And we see that immediately after in 1 Samuel 16, 17 through 23. And it says that, So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse in Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send your son David who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, a, goat, a young goat, and sent them to the son of David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word of Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came to Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. So it's interesting to note that the first thing they talk about what David does after being anointed and told that he will become king is that he goes to serve the current king. And he goes and he does it. He serves. And in my sinful nature, I would think, oh, what a perfect opportunity. You could do something to the king because you know you're going to become king. You could just let him remain struggling and crazy, and that would help you get king, become king faster. But David doesn't choose to get ahead through manipulative or wicked ways. He stays true to his heart and character, and he chooses service and love. And that's what God is calling us to as well. When we have the anointing of, Christ, of the Holy Spirit within us, the first thing he wants us to choose is service and love. Even if that's to the people that we least expect. Even if it's to the people that we think one day we should replace. We still are called to service and love. The second thing we see he does is in the very next chapter, and that's the story of David and Goliath. So one of the more most famous Bible stories, um, I get to the opportunity to work in kids' ministry over at Faith Chapel, and I think I've told the story of David and Goliath probably a hundred times. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to read the whole story. A lot of you probably already know this story. We're just going to focus on three verses, but as just a reminder, King Saul and the Israelites are going to battle against the Philistines, and the Philistines send out the warrior Goliath, and Goliath says, send out your best warrior, we will battle. If I win, you guys become our slaves. If you win, we will become your slaves. So they, for 40 days, Goliath stands out there, 
and he mocks the Israelites, and the Israelites and King Saul are terrified, and they send out no warrior. And finally, David comes to visit and deliver food to his brothers, and he hears Goliath mocking and calling out the Israelite army and having no one step up, and he says, what are we going to do? And they, he's like, I will go out, I will battle. So King Saul tries to give him his armor, give him all of his weapons to go out and face Goliath. And David refuses to wear any of them. He just takes the slingshot and five stones and he goes out there. And what he says as he faces Goliath is what we will read. It says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of armies of Israel who, have def- who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gather here will know that there is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. You see, David doesn't wait to be king to start fighting these battles. He doesn't look at this situation and think, well, when I'm king, I would do this so different. He chooses to fight that battle right now. He acts immediately because he has the confidence that the Lord is with him and that the Lord will go ahead of him and that the battle is already the Lord's to have fought and won. And so we see that even within our own lives and within our own battles, we can have the confidence of David. We can have the confidence to know that the Lord is going before us. And I think there's a lot of battles that we all face in our lives. We are in a constant war with sin, whether that's lies that we continue to believe about ourselves, relationships that have become toxic in a way, temptations that we're struggling to face. So there are wars that, there's wars and battles that have come to us and we didn't even mean to. And there's other wars and battles that the Lord has brought us to and is saying, are you ready to step in and fight? And for a lot of us, we are too scared to even send in a warrior. Just like, the, just like Saul and the Israelites, we are too afraid we haven't even attempted to send in a warrior for that, Lord, for that battle. But we get to have the confidence to say exactly what David said, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Knowing that everything we have gone through, the battle gets to be the Lord's. And I know for me personally, one of those battles for the past three years is this idea of postpartum anxiety or stress or depression. And a lot of you have maybe even faced that within your own lives. And I know for me, after my first child, it was just really challenging. I went in not expecting that that would be what was happening. But even with this new baby at home, I was feeling so anxious and so stressed. I could just feel it deep in my stomach. I couldn't sleep at night because my stomach just ached with anxiety. And there would be times when the baby, when Crosby would be just crying and things wouldn't be going as I expected. And I just felt like I was losing control, that the battle was going just right, rushing over me and nothing was working. And so it made me scared and nervous to even have another baby. I didn't even want to have another baby. And finally, I was in a group and they said, why are you trying to fight it on your own? Why are you trying to be stubborn and fight this battle by yourself? And so as I was pregnant and preparing for my second baby, I got to just say, why am I trying to defeat a battle that the Lord has already defeated? Because if the battle is the Lord's and everything is in his hands, then why am I trying to fight this through my own will and power? And so I got to step into that next battle saying, this is the Lord's. And that doesn't mean it was easy. That doesn't mean there wasn't dark times or challenging moments. But it did mean that I had a base and something to lean back on instead of trying to lean back on on it all by myself. And so there's probably a lot of different battles that we're facing right now. And I encourage you, even in those moments of hard time, to say these verses out loud in the midst of that battle. The battle is God's, and it is in his hands. 
And then finally we see, and this is just an interesting part of the text, the final thing we see David um, doing after his anointing is found in verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 1. And it says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. So we hear this story of this amazing battle and this warrior, and then the very next thing is that he gets a best friend. <laughs> and it's an interesting part of the text because it talks about Jonathan and then immediately goes back to him winning all these wars and him finding favor and success in all he does. But just for three verses, right in chapter 18, it says, but Jonathan became friends. Him and Jonathan became best friends. They loved each other more than anything. And I think, God, we should take from that that when we're anointed, when we are called, when we are walking with the Spirit, we're still meant to do it in community. We're still meant to find deep friendships to help us along the way. Because David was at the peak. He was a war hero. He had saved the Israelite army. And in a moment where he could have probably allowed his pride and his confidence to take him forward to win the rest of these battles, he stops and he becomes a good friend. He finds community that is going to continue to spur him on. And that's what's so important for us as well, is that we don't do this alone. That we don't try and conquer life, our battles, we don't serve alone. That we do that in community with each other. So with all of that, with everything we've seen from David, now what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do with everything that we have looked at? Well, I think the first thing we have to do is we have to look within our own hearts and figure out where are we at with the Lord. If, again, you are in a place where you have said, yes, I've committed to God, I am serving him, I am investing in our, my relationship with the Lord, then I would say your call and your anointing is the same as what, the, what Jesus gave the disciples in Matthew 28. Right before Jesus left, Jesus says to them, Jesus, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus is calling us. He calls his disciples and he's calling us as well that what we our call to do is go and make disciples. We should be baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and we should be teaching them to obey the commands of the Lord. And as we, as we know, the commands of the Lord are just to love God with our whole hearts and to love others. So he's saying, go out and teach them to obey the commands to love God and love others. And in multiple, t and just like he said to David, I am going to be with you always to the very end of the age. He's going to be with us in the spirit. He is going to be working within us to guide and lead us into opportunities of service, into op opportunities where we can face the battles that are before us, and into opportunities where we can find deep friendship and community. And through those aspects through the the life the similar idea of what David did we can now go out and make disciples of all nations we can now go out and fill the calling and the anointing that God has given us because when we're trying to make the decisions what's what am I supposed to do next in my life what am I supposed to help guide and lead others to it needs to fall within the framework of this great commission Everything, every decision we make needs to fall into the framework of going out and making disciples. And are the decisions we're making aligning with that idea? Is it presenting and creating opportunities for us to make disciples? And if it is, then we can have confidence that that is what we are called to do through the Lord. And that might change. It might look different in different ages and stages of our lives. But if it sticks within that framework, then it is truly what we have been called to do. So I just want to take a little, just an opportunity for us um, to just pray and think about this. I would encourage you again just to ask those questions within yourself. Where is my heart at? 
Where am I at in my relationship with Lord? And what has God calling me, called me to within the framework of that great commission and making disciples? All right, and we'll pray. God, we just, we thank you so much for everyone here today. We just thank you for um, this opportunity to get to spend time in your word. And we thank you for the story of David. We thank you that you have presented us with a story that, um, that teaches and gives such a good example of what your anointing has looked like, what it looks like for you to be called. And we, um, we just pray that for our own lives, that we would continue um, to develop our relationship with you, Lord, and then to find opportunities to serve you, Lord, to find opportunities where we have battles in our own life and help us to know that we can stand firm and that we know you have gone ahead of us in that battle. And so, God, we just pray for that. We also just pray that a community of fellow believers, a community of friends would come around us and that they would be with us and support us through this whole journey. And God, we just thank you that you have anointed us with your Holy Spirit, that you are working within us, and that now we can have confidence to go out and serve your great mission, which is to make disciples. So God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for everyone in this room, and we just love you. In your name, amen. Amen. All right. We're going to stand and uh, finish with a final song here, just a short one. Um, we did have one announcement. Uh, don't forget that Tuesday... At 6 p.m., there's going to be a barbecue at which park, Arnie? A week from Tuesday. So the 17th, uh, don't forget about the barbecue. So, all right. South Park. I can't count the times I've called your name some broken nights. You showed up and patched me up like you do every time. I get amnesia. I forget that you keep coming around. There ain't no way you'll ever let me down. Good God Almighty, I hope you'll find me. Praising your name no matter what comes. Cause I know where I Praise Him in the morning, praise Him in the noontime, praise Him when the sun goes down. Love Him in the morning, love Him in the noontime, love Him when the sun goes down. Praise Him in the morning, praise Him in the noontime, praise Him when the sun goes down. Love Him in the morning, love Him in the noontime, love Him when the sun goes down. Let's give Him a little love right now, ladies and gentlemen. All right. All right, well... Uh, um, have a good week, ladies and gentlemen. I apologize for the late notice about Jared with the COVID. Um, we're going to try to do everything we can to have preparations next week. So anyways, have a great week. Stay safe and uh, bless you all.
All right. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Looks like we're few this morning, but that's okay. We're going to praise our Lord and Savior. You guys want to stand up with us, and uh, we're going to do a little worship here, please. Mm -hmm. 